You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Episode 148 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band A Living Hell. A Living Hell is a St. Louis, Missouri punk rock band formed by Jason Hemmer in 2012. The singer-songwriter is inspired by horror movies, which translate to his music lyrically by way of short stories. Ran as a solo project to start, he joined forces with Mike O'Rourke in 2019. In 2020, John Kay and Matt Prater became permanent members, rounding out the current lineup of A Living Hell. If you're a fan of pizza, beer, horror, and melodic punk rock, you may have just found your new favorite band. For more information on A Living Hell, you can find them on all of the streaming platforms, as well as Facebook, at A Living Hell Rocks, and Instagram, at A Living Hell Official. Now here it is, their new single, Out for Blood. Yeah. 
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hey, this is Josh from the band Dogwood and St. Didicus. You're listening to That One Time on Tour. Hey everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. If this is your first time joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation. I hope you're all doing well out there and staying safe and healthy. I'm a little bit under the weather. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice or not, but uh, I wanted to get this podcast out, so I am doing it. And then I'm going to go to sleep. So uh, today on the program, I got to sit down and have a chat with my buddy, Mr. Josh Kimball from the awesome band Dogwood, as well as his new project, St. Didicus. Uh, I'm, I've always been a huge fan of Dogwood, and I was so stoked when uh, he wanted to come on the show. You know, growing up in the Midwest, I was exposed to the whole Christian slash tooth and nail scene just as much as like the Epifat scene. And Dogwood always really stood out to me, and having Josh on the show was a real honor. Uh, His new project, St. Didicus, is really cool as well. You guys are going to hear some of that later on in the program. So before I get to my conversation with Josh, I need to pay some bills. We have some awesome sponsors for this episode. The band at the beginning, A Living Hell. I really like those guys. Thank you so much for sponsoring. Make sure to check them out on the socials and on the streaming sites. Partscaster Concierge, my buddy Gary, he builds guitars. He can build you one. He can build you the guitar of your dreams. So check it out. Partscasterconcierge.com. SBAM.rocks. They did the artwork for the podcast. They did the artwork for my new band. My new band, Fire Sale, actually signed to their record label. They have a festival. They do all kinds of stuff. So check them out. SBAM.rocks. Permanence Tattoo Gallery is the only place to get tattooed in central Indiana. It's on Meridian Street, downtown Anderson, Indiana. You can check them out on the socials at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Last but not least, we have Green Chef. Meal kits are all the rage. They're amazing. You got to check them out. They sent me some food and it was killer. They have all kinds of options. Like I got the keto option, but they have vegan, vegetarian, all kinds of cool stuff. And if you guys want to get hooked up with a great deal for listening to this podcast, go to greenchef.com forward slash 90TOTOT. That is greenchef.com forward slash 
T-O-T-O-T. You're going to get $90 off and free shipping. So check it out, greenchef.com. If you have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode, it's super easy. Just hit me up, T-O-T-O-T-Podcast at gmail.com or on the socials at T-O-T-O-T-Podcast. If you want to check out our Patreon, we've got some, some people over there hanging out. Uh, it is patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you want to send a one-time donation to help out your favorite podcast, you can hit up my personal Venmo that is at Christopher Swinney, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. The easiest way to support is to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And make sure to follow us on the socials, like I said, at T-O-T-O-T podcast. We, we recently set up a Discord server, which is pretty cool. It's like our own little personal, private social networking site. It's really neat. So uh, check that out. It's totally free. And there is a link to check it out at our website, tototpodcast.com. My new band, Fire Sale, we just announced our new single will be dropping on all the streaming sites April 1st. It is not an April Fool's Day joke, I swear. Make sure to pre-save. The link to pre-save is on our Facebook and Instagram at Fire Sale is a band. And I'm not supposed to announce this yet, but you can also go to firesaleisaband.com and all the info's there. And we have a limited edition uh, shirt that kind of coincides with the release of the single. So check that out. Firesaleisaband.com. Shout out to our art director, Sarah, over at Road Dog Supply. Make sure to follow her on Instagram and Facebook at Road Dog Supply. Uh, this is going to be the shortest intro ever because I don't feel well. And uh, I don't think it's COVID. I just think I've got a little touch of something. But I don't have a segment today. We'll be back next week with a really cool segment. But uh, today, it wasn't in the cards. So if you guys out there like the segments, I do apologize for that. But I'm going to jump straight into my interview with Mr. Josh Kimball from Dogwood and St. Didicus. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Josh from Dogwood and St. Didicus. What's going on, my man? Hello. Hello out there. I'm I'm, doing well. I'm very excited (laughs) to finally have you on the show. I know we... uh, we had it set up a long time ago, and yeah. li- life got in the way, but now we're here and we're doing it, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored to have you on the program. Well, thanks. It's an honor to be here with some a list of so many good guests. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, man. Like, you know, Dogwood was a big deal for me. I've been listening to you guys for a long time, and, and a lot of my friends have growing up in the Midwest, getting into punk rock music. It wasn't just no effects and lag wagon. It was a lot of the Christian based stuff as well. So I was very familiar with Tooth and Nail. I was very familiar with, you know, MXPX and Dogwood and Slick Shoes sure. and Hangnail and the whole deal. So I never really looked at it as being different. Did you guys ever feel like it was its own little scene and you were outside of like the larger scene? I think to a certain extent it, it is. Um, um, you know, getting assigned to labels like Rescue and Tooth and Nail are already kind of different in the in their in their either their ethos or their mission statement, with the same goal in mind is to you know sell records and to get your music out there to the world. But the bands that are on it are are, are you know for the most part saying something that they believe is to be true. Uh, their religious backgrounds, their faith, their growing up, and I was saying it from a perspective of a, of a hurt individual in the church. Uh, 
Um, if you hear some of the songs, they're pretty, pretty crazy about stuff that's going on. But I did come from that background, so that's what I knew. That's what I was singing about. So yeah, it's a little different, but I wasn't always like fight the government. You know, I was more <laughs> like I was more like, why is the government inside the church like this? Or I don't know. I was always questioning. So you know, growing up, I, I grew up Catholic. I, I wouldn't really say that I'm anything currently. I, I'm, I'm not against religion in any way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. Growing up, you know, the way you did and, and being in a quote-unquote Christian band, has things changed? Do you still hold on to a lot of your ideals you had back in the day? Because, you know, a, a, probably a mutual friend of ours, Mike Herrera from MXPX, like he's kind of not quite as far that way as he used to be. And, you know, my buddy Scott from Zayo is not quite what he used to be. Like, has it changed as you've gotten older or do you still hold on to that? I think no matter how you grew up in any, you know, whatever church you grew up in, you know, I was, I was uh, born Catholic Mexican family. So you're kind of in the church immediately. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that's woven into your fabric, no matter whether it's a good experience or a bad one, you know, like people like David Bazan from Page of the Lion have, they sing about their experience in his journey into, you know, he journeyed into the atheistic direction. Right. Um, I think that as I've matured in my walk and journey and all this kind of stuff with, with religion and with my relationship with that, I think that I've, I've gone and, um, you know, it's been a long winding road in that. Cause it's not, I'm not just a kind of a naive junior hire anymore. I started the band when I was 17 you know, um, started dog when we were right out of high school. So I was just thinking about everything that was happening to me in and out of the church, you know, um, all the people, all the band members, I know you had Josh Hadquist on here. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he, he started it with me and, you know, we were, we came from the churches in town. Um, but, but at the same time, we were both super into punk rock. So that was our, that was our foray into the music scene. So whether that was a Christian music scene or not, that's just, that's what we were singing about. And that's kind of, that's always what I've been singing about, but it's, it's not always like, yay, you know, it's not always like, yay church. Cause the church is really messed up too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we all have our own relationships with it. So in my, I guess, maturation in my, in my, in my experience with that, I've just done it in a more contemplative manner, like almost like, you know, a, a theist monk kind of thing. Like I still, have, I still believe. And uh, it's just in a different way, I think. So I'm not like, I'm, I'm more against like the, the masses and the commodity of religion, almost like the way kind of Greg Graffin speaks about it. But um, I'm against the commercialization of Jesus kind of thing. You know, I'm more like, you know, there, there can be a lot of good done from the church, but there's a lot of healing that, that that church has caused that we have to repair, you know? So I'm, I wouldn't say I'm, uh, I'm not totally out of it because I live in a community. uh, You know, we move into a, underserved communities so we can serve our neighbors and stuff like that. So I just try and live out those beliefs like uh, that I was, that I learned about Jesus, not that I learned about the mega church kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, so. and I, I won't keep harping on the religious thing. It just, it, I find it, fa- fine, I find it fascinating because where I grew up in Indiana, you know, being in punk bands, every show we played, there was a band there that was a Christian quote unquote, Christian punk band, Christian metal band, whatever. And I find it fascinating because some of the bands are the bands that really try to like witness to people and, and really try to like, you know, join my club. And then some of the bands, they fall under that moniker, but they're just, they just want to play music. And that's just what they sing about. There was, there was a band and my buddy listens all the time. John, he was in a band called faded edge 
and they were kind of like this grungy rock band and they were a Christian band, but they, they always played at the secular venues because he was like, why would I want to preach to the choir? If I have a message with my band, why would I just want to get that message out to people that already believe that message? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We, we played wherever we played on the bottom of half pipes at a skate park. We played in rooftops. We played in empty swimming pools, you know, everywhere you name it. It wasn't just, we're just going to go do the churches because like you said, preaching to the choir kind of thing. And there's a reason that it's called preaching to the choir. Uh, some There's some churches that only have the choir as their members of the church or people who don't need to hear, or you would think that they don't need to hear the message, but sometimes the people inside the church need to hear it more than, yeah. you know, people who don't, because they're like sometimes just doing terrible things or whatever, just like, because everyone who goes to church happens to be a human being. And, uh, everyone has their flaws and stuff like that. Of course, I say that a lot because I think I'm projecting onto everybody else, but, uh, (laughs) um, but that gave me a lot of things to sing about, but I was, I was trying to sing about, you know, from a a Christian perspective, because to go back a little bit into my, my growing up in that is when we moved from Catholic church into, you know, a a regular kind of non-denominational Christian church, it's because my mom married a guy, uh, my stepfather, and he started taking us to this church, right? But then they started having all their own problems in the in the family. So they eventually got a divorce. And in between her getting married and their divorce, we were always in church and all this all this shit was still happening in the family. But I'm so I'm the whole time I'm like, hmm, it's the church is not helping us. <laughs> I, I mean the church people are trying to help us, but yeah. going to church is not saving our family. Yeah, Going to church is is maybe the only thing keeping our family together. But at the same time, my dad, who was trying to take us to church, was not a good person, you know? So there's there was always this human flaw that I had noticed from, like, when I was, like, six years old and on. I was like, dude, this guy's a toolbox, you know? Like, I don't know. But but he was trying to take us to church to maybe, maybe because he knew that it wasn't going to work. Well, and I talk to my friends all the time because like I said, I'm not very religious, but I, Mm -hmm. I respect all my friends that are, and we have these long discussions. And what I've always told my friends, religion is a great thing, but you still are a human and you still have to try your best to be the best human you can be. You you can't just be a total dick asshole your whole life and just hope that God's going to make you a better person. So I I get what you were saying, man. Yeah. I think it's unfortunate when people, think they have this Teflon coating because they're a pastor or a Christian musician or whatever. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm a Christian musician, but it is music, you know, it's like this old adage, cause it a Christian gas station. Are you a Christian plumber? Like, yes, you can have your own beliefs, but like, you don't go around saying like, you know, I mean, maybe people do like, Hey, we're a Buddhist band or, yeah. you know, we're a Catholic band or, you know, we're, we're a totally 100% atheist band. Like you can say that stuff, but it's like, you know, is your music good? Are your lyrics good? Can you relate to the songs? Um, yeah, I know. I think that, I think that a lot of people nowadays are, have gotten a bad rap because there's been so much news and media. Um, I'm not accusing the media. I'm saying like, there's been a lot of stories about mega pastors falling and like doing, doing things, but, but they're actually just doing things that normal people do. Um, but they happen to be on a pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a problem. And I think that with, you know, the bands on Tooth and Nail and other uh, labels, I think that once you mess up or, you know, get caught doing something bad or whatever, it's like, well, aren't you a Christian band? Or it's like, dude, we're, yes, yes, we are, but it's, we're humans. And, and I think that's why a lot of people stray from that label. I think that's why a lot of bands and musicians and artists 
end up or start from the beginning saying, we don't want a part of that label anymore. We don't want a part of the, the, that scene or that community because it's overly judged from the church, from the church and outside the church. Like people who don't know much about this Christian scene or people who are in the Christian scene, it's like, you're not this or that. You're not enough of this. You're not doing the right thing. It's like, okay, then we'll go do it over here. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like when I was young and I was listening to, you know, getting into punk rock and then I, I found, you know, tooth and nail and some of like face down some of those labels, the thing that always stood out about you guys, I felt like you guys kind of, you were influenced by bands. I really like like no effects, lag wagon, whatever, yeah. but you also kind of had your own thing going on. And what I always correct me, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way or not, but when I was growing up, I, I went to youth groups and everything with these kids and they wouldn't listen to no effects. They wouldn't listen to lag wagon. They would listen to like the generic version that was on tooth and nail or the generic right. version that was on face down. And you got, you guys to me, like, I don't want to name bands that I think are a generic version of an, of a secular band that was out that then, but you guys always kind of had something a little bit unique. And I think that's why I Thanks. gravitated towards what you guys were doing, regardless of whatever the moniker was. I appreciate that. I, I know which bands you're talking about also. <laughs> I think if um, everybody but, out there probably knows we don't have to like, well, name yeah, names. Cause well, because everyone's influenced by something, you know, it's yeah. like, I mean, you know, the clash and, and bad religion, they were doing re- no effects. All those bands you mentioned were doing records long before I started doing music. Um, and when I discovered them, I discovered the music mainly through my snowboarding videos. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and that's why I wanted to start the band. Cause I was like, well, I had no intention of doing music. I, I was just like a poetry writer, kind of like whatever, writing all my thoughts down. But I saw all these, I heard all these bands on snowboarding videos. And I was like, so my first ones that I had were had like No Use for a Name and Rocket from the Crypt and Bad Religion and Pennywise, of course. And, and also all the surf videos that come out of Southern California. And I was like, oh man, this is, this rips, you know, cause I was super into like, you know, rap and uh, R&B and hip hop and uh, uh, everything that was, I was trying to consume all kinds of music. And um, also at the time that we started the band, I, I wasn't aware of any, you know, church kind of bands that were doing a lot of music. There was some, there was a couple in, around Southern California, but nothing like the punk rock that I liked, nothing like, like no effects or lag wagon or anything like that. And then I just started eating it all up. I bought all the no effects cassettes and I got all the lag wagon on vinyl and stuff like that, just because it was, it was available for one thing. And it was something that I could rebel against my mom with, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, I was going through the, I, they, were, they got divorced when I was in the middle of high school. So I was like, how can I, how can I, you know, I don't know, piss her off a little bit more. And, and it's a sucky thing to do to your parents because they don't know what's going on with you as a teenager, but, yeah, yeah. but you're, and you're trying to express yourself. And I had no musical talent, but I really, something I really loved about this angsty music. And this was before I even discovered stuff like, but prior to, you know, like old stuff like Black Flag and, you know, Dead Kennedys and stuff like that. I, I discovered, I guess the, the Dogwood sound uh, from the other, the Fat Records Epitaph bands, before I even discovered all of the history of punk rock, you know? See, and I love that because I think you and I are similar in age, possibly, right? How old are you? Yeah. 44. 44. Okay. I'm going to be 43 this year. So okay, great. we're yeah. kind of in the same age group. I found that almost like second wave American version or whatever as well, the fat, the epitaph. But then when you go back and you find out the lineage 
Like yeah. Black Flag is one of my favorite bands of all time right now. But I didn't hear Black Flag until I heard a No Effects record. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, I heard. I heard the. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, you found Misfits through Cliff. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So like, I'm sure that's a lot of people's experience. And of course, liner notes, thank yous, all that kind of stuff. So we, you know, I made it a point to really think about my thank yous and liner notes just so I could kind of send, you know, promote people really, promote bands that are, or promote friends' bands and stuff like that. Um, I, I do remember now that we're talking about childhood punk and stuff like that, that, so my mom was a, you know, rock and roll kind of stoner kind of party person back in the day. She's not anymore. Uh, but, uh, then my aunt was like R and B low writer, chola music, um, in that culture. And, and my uncle was totally into pop and anything on the radio. So we, they had, we all had vast record collections in different houses. Right. And, um, I was riding in my uncle's car, this sweet, sweet old Datsun car and the clash comes on the radio. And this is when I was, this must've been what, 79, 80. Um, I think it was given enough rope had just come out or combat rock. And, you know, should I stay or should I go? And I was on the radio. It's like, it's one of the, I mean, on the radio, at least one of the punk songs that was on the radio at the time yeah. for, for me in that area. I was like, what is this? And he's like the clash, blah, blah. You know, he's, you know, it's, it's one of those uncles who's not too much older than you that they're totally out of your yeah. generation, but, but like a older brother. So he's, you know, so he shows me the record and I'm like, what is it? He's like, this is punk rock. And, it, and the clash, you know, they're awesome. I love them. I have all their records. They're not too fast. They can, they're very radio friendly. Of course, now everything of theirs is all, everywhere. And that was my kind of first experience, I think, with that. Cause, uh, cause my mom didn't have those kind of, she had like, you know, Boston and Santana and those kind of records. And then my aunt would never play that kind of stuff. So that was a cool foray. And then, you know, few years go by, I didn't hear anything about punk because I was still little and into whatever other music was popular. And then when you discover punk, it's a very eye-opening, ear-opening, heart-blowing experience. And I was like, I'm, I am 100% all in, um, you know, let's go. I, I didn't know much, but I loved it. Well, and I think that's funny. Uh, I don't know if I've talked a lot on the podcast about, I've talked about finding the misfits through Cliff Burton from Metallica, but when I was probably uh, in middle school or, or elementary school, I got into Metallica because my uncle gave me Master of Puppets on cassette, like first pressing Master yeah. of Puppets on cassette. Nice. And that's kind of how that all took off for me. So I got into metal pretty hardcore. And then through the metal bands, I mean, not even just Cliff wearing the Misfits shirt, but like, you know, Lars had a GBH shirt on one time and, <laughs> and, and like the guys from anthrax would have like SOD shirts on. Like I found hardcore and punk through metal because all those metal guys were so influenced by that first kind of wave of hardcore and punk. I, I love the fact that everyone I talk to that's about my age, the origin stories are very similar. <laughs> yeah. It's an older yeah. brother an uncle or whatever, you know? You see, uncles, if you're listening, uncles, you have a big duty to fulfill. Yeah. You got to <laughs> give give music to to your nephews and nieces because, you know, maybe the parents have their own set ways. It's the uncle's job to throw it in there and <laughs> change your life. I have two nephews, so I got to get to work. I, there I, you go. I haven't seen them for about a year because of the pandemic, but, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, make a, you can make a playlist now. And, yeah, you know, definitely. As we used to do. Definitely, I definitely got involved heavily into the mixtape culture, you know, trading stuff around. Um my cousins were recording, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, playlist mixtapes for me all the time on cassette. Listen to this, listen to this. Uh, they did so much 
uh, at one point on, on one tape, you could do like 120 minutes on a tape or something like that at one point. And they figured out a way to record it, manipulate the tape to do it. And uh, they mixed, they had like, it was like Misfits, Green Day, Bad Religion, uh, uh, Metallica, like a bunch of uh, songs all smashed together, Beastie Boys. It was all punk stuff. And I, I almost couldn't tell the difference at one point. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I was very first hearing it, I was like, oh, because I... Don't kill me here, everybody. But I thought this one, I thought Anesthesia by Bad Religion was a Green Day song because it was like in between all these Green Day and, you know, songs. So I was like, well, Green Day is pretty, uh, Green Day is uh, pretty uh, punk rock there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. So uh, I want to talk a little bit. We were talking about growing up and getting into all this stuff. You guys formed the band in 1993. You were talking about Josh, you know, of the beautiful mistake that's been on the program. You guys yeah. kind of got it going at the beginning. The original name was Half Off, correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, explain yeah. explain to me how you guys came together to form the band and then why the name changed. Because I know it happened fairly quickly, correct? Yeah, it did. Um, so Josh Josh and had named it Half Off uh, based on uh, just a sticker he saw at Ralph's grocery store, right? And he stole the sticker. It's one of those like burst, like half off <laughs> for the spread lift order. So he's, he's like, that's, that's very punk rock. So he steals the sticker. Sorry, Josh, don't, this is not incriminating evidence. Um, I'm sure he he'll listen. He'll, he'll listen too. Cause he commented on <laughs> yeah. the Instagram post that I put up. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. He's no, we talk all the time. We're, we're super homies. Josh um, is a good dude, man. Shout out to Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. I think everybody likes Josh Hadquist, you know? Um, and if you don't, I got beef with you. Just Me, <laughs> I do too. Josh is a good guy. <laughs> um, but so he steals the sticker and he goes, Hey, it was at the time it was just he and our, our, our original guitar player, Jace. And so, and then we eventually got our drummer and they were, we're all from the same high school. And he's like, Hey, you're crazy. You want to be in, you want to be the singer of this band? <laughs> <laughs> I had no experience. I was not, I guess I was punk in nature. My, my DIY ethics. I was, I was a punk person, you know, this is something I got into on another podcast, like punk rock being a, an adjective versus a music, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I was, I was, I was punk in, in, in nature and spirit. Um, so yeah, let's do it. You know? Um, cause I think they caught me listening to like the beastie boys, some old, some old bullshit record, which is all punk rock stuff. Right. And, uh, so we did it, we put it together, did a couple things, then kind of lo and behold, I think we did like one public, maybe two public shows as half off. Maybe uh, there was a band, a hardcore band on the East coast called half off. And we were, we were afraid because we were young and dumb that they were going to, I don't know what they were going to do. So we just changed the name to uh, Jace's mom had suggested, Hey, what about this? You know, dogwood or it's a, it's a plaque, right? It's a, she's a, a church mom. So the legend of the dogwood trees, you know, is the cross. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, that's the legend. I was like, oh, the legend of Dogwood. That sounds like a cool name. Like the actual, that, that full thing, the legend of the Dogwood, right? Whatever. Something like that. Like very like Western movie sounding or like very uh, ominous or whatever. I don't know. So then it got shortened. To, it just, it, I got vetoed. It's just Dogwood, you know, one word. It was, it's very like early nineties, either one word or three words, you know, <laughs> is, there, is your band, <laughs> right? Um, it's it, so much so in the nineties that there, my friends had started a joke band called Three Word Name. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it, it it did get a little bit ridiculous there in like the early 2000s like and you will know us by the trail of dead like all these names all the words and yeah. then fallout boy every title of every song was like a sentence i mean it just it got a little <laughs> a little out of control yeah very very po exercising their poetic rights yeah, poetic yeah, license yeah. right so i mean 
anyway, so we, so yeah, so that was the name change and that kind of happened really quick. And then we just, so went with dogwood and then that just stuck for, you know, the whole time. Well, I want to talk kind of, I like going through a little bit of a timeline, especially with, you know, a band like dogwood that I've been listening to forever. I just want to get the ins and outs. So you guys formed in 93 under the old name. You changed yeah. the name very quickly after that. Three three years later, you guys are already putting stuff out on Rescue Records. Like, what was the tra- trajectory like when you guys started? Was there a lot of shows out of the gate? Was it mostly churches? Like, what were you guys doing back then? It was, yeah. I mean, I think we were young. We kind of knew everybody in our town, North County, San Diego, Escondido. Um, we between between all of us, we had a lot of connections to places to play, you know, people's backyards, skate parks, stuff like that. There are different jobs. And then, and then also at the same time, uh, let's see if I, I, I might mess this up. I don't know. Cause it was a long time ago, yeah. but <laughs> we, you know, at the, at that time there's a, there's a POD payable on death in San Diego. They were getting bigger. Uh, they had started before us and no innocent victim who, you know, uh, NIV. So like those yeah. two bands were kind of in our, in our scene, in our ears, a couple of those people were in our, in our city, in our town. So we, you know, I would say bands like that took us under their wing if you, they, cause we were kind of playing at the same shows or we'd go to all their shows. Uh, you know, a couple other bands like that were our friends had kind of discovered us and showed us to them so that we got on more shows, you know? Um, so North County, San Diego is kind of a big area. San Diego in general is, it's a huge small town, if you will. It's a really big, really big area, but very small and tight knit. So we would play everywhere from, you know, the border of Mexico all the way up to LA, wherever we could. And we didn't really drive much. So we were getting rides to shows. We couldn't get into clubs, you know, we were, I remember one, one show we had to like have our, our drummer. He was, he was the youngest at the time and he had to wait outside until we played kind of thing. You know, <laughs> I've been, I've been there, man. You play, we played a bar in South Bend when I was in high school <laughs> and yeah. they made us sit in the kitchen until we played. That was where they had to <laughs> sit. Yeah. Oh, they're like, why is all the soda gone? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, we had those experiences. And then, um, yeah, a POD, their, uh, the drummer's dad started Rescue Records to put out their records, you know? And then eventually they got, they signed and known as a victim. And then I think we were their fourth or fifth band. There was a couple other bands, uh, maybe somebody, I, I actually don't even remember because I suck at, you know, uh, but, but we had never played with those other bands because they were, I think they were from Arizona or something. And we weren't really doing too much tours at the time. But then one of our big tours with like, we went, we went out with POD and they were just at, at the, you know, right at the cusp of just breaking up huge, you know, breaking huge, not breaking up. Um, two records on Rescue, well, two and a half if you count the EP. Um, but that was a good, fun time. We had been playing with all the tooth and nail bands at the time. And also we weren't, we didn't want to just play in that scene. We wanted to, I wanted to get to the point where I'm on a, where, where we are the soundtrack for skate and surf videos and snowboard yeah. videos. Yeah. Uh, we, we want to be, on a bill with no effects and Pennywise. We, you know, I had, I guess you could call them goals, but I mean, dreams really, but you know, so we, uh, we tried to get on all the bills and we ended up getting on shows uh, at least for opening slots for, um, you know, when bands would come into Soma and we would play. So we played with, you know, we did Mill and Collins first Southern California show and they played with when they were playing a Tampa pole. And this, that was a really memorable, memorable experience because everybody wanted to see him because it was their first show. So everybody saw us too, you know? So, <laughs> or, but, but then the the big main stage was like, I don't know, 
2000 cap and we were opening shows there for you know large bands coming through you know especially when mxpx would come through i think we started to develop a rapport with them and uh so soma is such a great venue too is it still kicking like i used to we used to play there all the time man when yeah when when things were you know open and kicking yes uh they they moved to a bigger location from probably from when you were last there in a movie theater and um so they have a, one of the theaters is a side stage wow. and they, they cut out a bunch of other ones for the main stage so pretty cool it's still i'm hoping that it gets up and running because it's all ages and uh, so that's a really cool thing i think to be able to be able to take people to the show um you know no restriction kind of thing uh so legendary club yeah soma for sure uh, I think it's been like about 11 years since I've played there, actually. Yeah. Well, they might. Okay. So they might be at the movie theater one then. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember when, when exactly he moved there, but I'm sure, you, there. I'm sure you've played the Casbah, right? You know, I've never played the Casbah. I go there all the time. I got the shirt at the Casbah. <laughs> Dude, I, I love playing there. Like when we would do like yeah. smaller tours, we would just, we'd hit up the Casbah and, and I don't know. It just got that little stage. Like it's, it's an awesome place to play, man. Yeah. I've seen you. I've seen you there. But I, I, but I've never, I don't, we, I've never graced the stage, you know, <laughs> unless I'm like, unless I jump up and sing with somebody. Yeah. So what I want to talk about then, uh, I, I listen to podcasts like it's my job before I started the podcast. I've now had this yeah. one going for like three years, but a podcast, Congrats. a podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. A podcast that I really enjoy listening to is the labeled podcast. Matt from Emory does the, the tooth and nail podcast. And I thought for a minute you had done an episode of that, but I don't think you have, have you? So Matt and I have talked a couple of times and he's like, oh, damn it. I should have recorded this one. You know, like <laughs> I should have, I should have been recording this conversation. Um, but we, uh, no, I haven't been on as a guest, but we come up every once in a while because, you know, we're friends with all the bands. So our name pops up here and there, but um, the re- the, I was kind of spotlighted on, one of the recent ones because I did a, the collab song with Hangnail for their Christmas EP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so Matt and them gave that one quite a quite a spotlight at the end of the episode. But really, um, not not much really. I mean, let's be honest, their catalog is so huge at the label. He's got a lot to lot to talk about, you know. But I mean, maybe maybe soon. I think that'd be great, man, because I I really enjoyed the Hangnail one, and I kind of Dogwood and Hangnail in my mind. I mean, completely different kind of bands, but you guys always kind of were the two bands that I really enjoyed the most on that label because okay, I thanks. was always more into the skate punk kind of fast uh-huh. thrashy stuff. Yeah. And, and so like, I always kind of put you and hang now together on a little shelf. <laughs> you know? Well, we toured, we, t- we did tour together. Um, maybe, maybe that's where you saw us play or something like that. Cause you know, they're from not too far from where you are, I guess. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. I might be lumping the Midwest altogether, but I mean, every, uh, everybody does it. It's okay. Like I'm, I'm three hours South of Chicago, an hour North of Indy. That's where I'm at. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the sound talent media podcast network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Oh, so you're like three and a half hours from where they live. Yeah. Are they, where, where are they at? I forget. They're in Kenosha. Kenosha. Okay. I think Kenosha might take about four to five hours from where I'm at. Oh, you okay. have to go around well, the lake, so yeah. I guess that's like you know when people lump my city into with like LA market, 
you know? Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. You can't play in San Diego cause you have a show in LA. I'm like, dude, <laughs> but dude, I'll, uh, I'll yeah. tell you, I, I, I toured for a while with a San Diego band called undermined. Oh, I love them. Yeah, yeah. I, I played bass for him on a tour. I was supposed to go to Europe. I ended up not going. I had some like family stuff that went down. But I remember when I first flew out there, and I'd been to San Diego a million times. But we're hanging out in Seaside. We're in Escondido, and I'm like, I want to, I want to live here. And then like yeah. N- Nick and some of those guys are like, you don't know how much it costs to live here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you pay for that beauty. Because um, at the time I owned a house in Indiana, and it's like there you go. I remember talking to the thrice guys when they were in town like years ago and they like asked me what I paid for my house and they almost like threw up. Like they couldn't believe it. I know it's ridiculous. Like anywhere outside of California, especially San Diego. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite expensive. I guess you kind of get used to it, but people, a lot of people have moved out of here so they could get a house and have land and acreage. And then they fly back in for work or whatever. I know some, restaurant owners that don't even live in San Diego. They just kind of come in, you know, whatever, or stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I totally get that, you know, but we, we've moved out a couple of times to do different projects with a family and stuff like that. And, and I think our anchor and roots is here, like all our family, every single family members here for the most part. And, um, I mean, at least in this Southern California area, um, it's hard to like live in another, it's hard to even live as far as like San Francisco from here, but, um, yeah. I get what you're saying. It's it's pretty. It's nice outside right now. Oh, dude, it's it's gorgeous. It's, snow, it's snowing in New York, you know. Well, dude, yeah, it's snowing here too. I think it's four degrees out right now where I'm at. Oof, yeah. man. Like, and my 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 wife is from Alabama, and we've lived back in Indiana now because I met her on the beach in Gulf Shores, Alabama, where it's oh, that's nice. It's beautiful there right now on the yeah, Gulf. Yeah. But we moved back to to where my family's from probably four, almost five years ago. And every winter, she always forgets, like, why did I move here? <laughs> She's just not quite into it, you know? Oh, I mean, I, I like the snow, but I like to visit. And we, we've we played at shows in, in the snow and, like, Big Bear, the ski the lift, ski lift resorts and snowboarding resorts. Because we wanted to play with bands like The Line and Pennywise and stuff like that. So, we, you know... I love the snow. I'll play in the snow, whatever, you know, <laughs> dude, <laughs> I don't, I don't mind the snow, but when it gets down to four degrees, I I, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> that's cold. Yeah, that's cold. But, um, how, how were you in undermining the whole time? No, I funny story. I've never told this on the podcast. Uh, let's go. <laughs> I was, uh, I was playing bass for a band called Brazil that was on fearless records. Uh-huh. And we, they're from Indiana where I'm from originally. And live again. And uh, we, were, <laughs> we were on Warp Tour in 2004 and Undermined, Undermined had just released their debut on Kung Fu. And okay. they were the band that was building the smart punk stage every day on Warp Tour. That was They got to play on the stage if they built it and did all the grunt work. Oh, man. And so I got to be very close with Yobs and Nick and all those guys in Undermined. And... After that tour ended, I kind of didn't have a gig anymore because Brazil was taking time off. And I was just like a hired guy anyway. I was buddies with them. I wasn't really in the band. Mm-hmm. And so Nick hit me up and he's like, hey, can you learn all these songs? We need a bass player. We're doing full West Coast. We're going to Canada. Yeah. We're doing Europe. So I think I had like a week or two to learn their entire set on bass. And I'm not even really a bassist. I'm a guitar player. Yeah, but, right. You know, anytime anybody needed a bass player, I'm like, I know how to play bass. So, <laughs> so I learned their set. They flew me out and, uh, we did a, the whole West coast all the way up mm-hmm. to Seattle. And then I had like a family emergency and I had to fly home. And then they actually, a guy in a band that they played with in Canada 
they ask him to go to Europe with them. And like Joe and everybody at Kung Fu is so mad because they had to change all the tickets because I already had my flight to, to Europe. Oh. oh, shoot. It was just a big mess. So I only ended up doing one tour with those guys. I'm still close with those dudes. Nice. It, and I think it could have turned into more, but then I ended up joining the Ataris and doing other stuff. And, uh-huh. but uh, I'll, I always remember like that was the heaviest band I ever got to tour with. Yeah, yeah. And and I we were in Pomona, California or Ventura, I can't remember, some like skate park. And this kid was like yelling in my face and I grabbed him and I like licked <laughs> his face in the middle of this breakdown and I, I don't know, it was the most fun I'd ever had playing shows <laughs> before. That's hardcore. Yeah. The lick. It was you know? it was fun. Yeah, I wouldn't do that now in in the current climate. I wouldn't lick somebody's face, but Sure, you yeah, you'd get arrested, but <laughs> Mike Mike is an, Mike is a beast on the drums. Um, and they're definitely, I just thought they had such a good sound, even, even if you could compare them to, you know, thrice and other, whatever, whatever you wanted to compare them to, but I just thought they were really good, especially for San, uh, you know, coming out of San Diego, there wasn't a ton of bands at the time that had, that sounded like undermining because they could kind of play with a lot of the bands in the punk and hardcore scene, just yeah. like thrice, you know? Um, so I, but I also thought that they were, it was a good move for them to be on uh, Kung Fu. Well, and um, I'll, I'll tell you my thing with that band, the thing that just struck me was Nick, who is now in Sleeping with Sirens, if anybody out there mm-hmm. knows. Uh, Nick, shout out. Yeah, shout out to Nick Martin. He's supposed to come on the show, but he, keep, he keeps dodging my emails. But, I uh, wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I always loved about Nick's voice was like, it's scratchy, he's screaming, it's all brutal and hardcore, yeah, yeah. but there was a melody behind it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. There's so many people that do that kind of vocal, and it's just this harsh thing that... It accents yeah. the heaviness of the song, but his had something else. It had you could almost hear notes behind what he was doing. Yeah, I think that's what I mean. Like, um, yeah, like it wasn't, it wasn't like, I, you know, let's go as far as say converge. It wasn't like just yeah, straight yeah. up. Rah, it was, but there was definitely a melody to it. Like he could, he could hold the, he could put a pitch on his growl, you know, um, which was kind of. I mean, there was a couple of singers before him that did it, but not everyone was doing it at the time either. So I think that, you know, shout out to Nick for doing a good vocal job, putting kind of two, two parts of your, two parts of your vocals together at the same time. You know, that's hard to do. And I've, <laughs> yeah. I've tried to, I've tried to do it in a few times. I can do it better live than I can in the studio um, because you get that energy behind it. And he just figured out how to just kind of put it out. There. I think I'm, I'm, I want to say it's because Mike was behind him on the drums and just like kind of pushing all that out. And, uh, but, uh, it, it definitely a group effort. I, I really like those records. Yeah. So speaking of your vocal ability, how long did it take you until you kind of felt confident? Because you said, you know, uh, you really didn't have a lot of experience. You know, you get yeah. a couple, you get a couple records in, are you feeling like I'm a singer <laughs> now, or are you always kind of having that anxious kind of feeling about it? I'm the type of artist that's, it's hard to, like, I don't, I don't want to show people the song until it's done kind of thing. I Like if I'm doing a demo or we're doing stuff for a producer or whatever, um, I get really nervous and shy. I think still to this day, that could be something in my own psyche or whatever. Um, I don't know why, because once I'm in the studio, it's a little more, more comfortable, but I was still really nervous in the studio. If there's, you know, everyone's in the booth, recording booth, watching me in the solo room i'm just like in there holding a microphone or whatever i'm trying to hide behind the spit guard um (laughs) don't look at me don't listen to me um but at the same time 
I don't know. I, I sometimes sometimes you you just close your eyes and get get out of your own head and just kind of get into the the zone. Um, we just watched that Pixar movie Soul, and they talk about being in the zone. We just watched it I'm sure too. You, I'm sure you watched it with your toddlers, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, this is written for me. You know, <laughs> Pixar hitting home again. But um, I understand. I understand uh, confidence and lack of confidence now. When I was 17, I just I just saying whatever. I did. I needed. I needed more production. I think uh, than I than I got on the records. Um, our producer is famous for uh, the producer of those records. I mean, shout out to Bob Moon. He he did the first MXPX record and a bunch of other early Tooth and Nail records. Um, he likes to let he liked to let bands just be be them be who they were, play how they play, and sing how they sing. And I was like, produce me, help me. You know, I'm I'm 17. I'm 18. I I my voice sounds like you know a low a low budget offspring. You know, like. Um, I, and I understand that I can admit that because I didn't know what I was doing. I, but I knew that I wanted the band to sound like, you know, the, the bands on the snowboarding video. Yeah. Uh, oh, how does, how does, how does John Reese sing and rocket from the crypt or no effects or I want to kind of sound like that. So I get that kind of nasal rasp going. Right. Um, and then I, I could sing clean, but I didn't, I never felt like it had a good part into the music until we, until we started maturing as musicians a little bit more, no matter how young or old we were, we were, the more we played by the time we got to our, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth record, whatever. Um, I could sing a little bit differently, but still kind of figure out a way to really push my, I don't know. I would, I got confident in, in the more screaming parts of the, everything because I guess at heart, I wanted to be more of a hardcore kid than, um, you know, a hardcore punker because um, like you said, the, a lot of the bands on the label, I think, I mean, not to put anyone under, but I think a lot of bands were trying to sound like Mike or were trying to sound like MXPX and they were trying to do that because, you know, props to Mike, they, he, they're successful and they had a sound people liked it. So if you're a young band that's listening to them, that's your, that's your idol and that's your whatever. And like you said, a lot of those bands who would not listen to bands on fat or epitaph or, you know, whatever other labels, um, revelation equal, all those kind of the good labels that had all the good bands, right. Um, that's where I was drawing influence from because I had started the band before I had ever heard Mike sing. Um, I'm talking about Mike MXPX Mike, not Fat Mike. Um, <laughs> so what we'll, we'll comes Skinny Mike? No, I'm just kidding. Shout out Mike, love you. Um, but I think, but I do think to your point that uh, we didn't sound like those other bands because, and and for one reason is because maybe because I had already started singing like years before those bands were signed to the label, so I had already kind of. I don't know if I developed the the sound or whatever, but it's like I didn't have that influence of those kind of those big bands and those singers. I was influenced by James Hetfield and you know the Crucified, awesome thrash punk metal band and uh, all the other fat fat bands really, and that's what I wanted to be. You know, I re- I remember when I heard Slick Shoes for the first time, I was like, wow, it sounds like MXPX and Pennywise and a metal band together. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I know that, and I'm, you know, they have a crazy story cause he was 14 when yeah. they did the EP. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know? the thing. Like I always thought, you know, he, the vocals kind of sounded a little close to Mike, but the music was way different. Oh yeah. The shredders. Yeah. Know? Shredders, man. <laughs> shredders. <laughs> they're, they're supposed to come up with well, some of those guys are supposed to come on the show too. Like, so no disrespect. I love slick shoes. That was like oh, yeah. huge. No, big, they're the homies. Huge band for me. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 to to that point, Ryan, the singer, like I said, fourteen years old when you start an EP. I can imagine if I was fourteen, 
I mean, I have a 14 year old son. I, if I was 14 singing in a punk band, you know, I don't know if I would, yeah. if you, if you listen to my records from the first record to like what I'm doing now, it's like, you can actually hear my voice change. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> let's be honest. I went from, I went from a high schooler to a man, like, you know, in the band. So, um, you know, that's Ryan started, started at 14 and then you can, you can kind of hear him change too on their newest record. It sounds great. Yeah. yeah, their, yeah. New record's great. their new record is killer, man. I love it so much. Dude, Insane. So, um, but yeah, you can hear a progression of, of artists when they do so many records, even like, I mean, not, no, we're not on the same level at all, but Greg Graffin going from, you know, suffer till age of unreason. You, you can kind of hear yeah. some age difference in his voice. Yeah. Definitely. And it sounds cool. <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit about signing to Tooth and Nail. I I would think if you are in a Christian punk band, that is almost kind of like the the top, right? Like that's kind of in, instead of signing to a major, that's got to be up there for a goal. You guys were playing with all the bands that were on the label. Can you kind of take me through how you came to their attention and how everything happened? Sure. Um like I said, playing when we, by the time we put out our second record, um, that was 97, I believe through thick and thin was 97. And, um, that one got a lot of, that was starting to get more attention to towards the snowboarding skating scene videos, stuff like that. Um, cause you gotta remember we're in Southern California and all the companies are from here. Yeah. Yeah. So we had an, op- we had an opportunity to meet all those people and, uh, do tours, and shows specific to those scenes. So we would play skate festivals and surf festivals and this kind of stuff. Right. So sometimes a tooth and nail band would come and play, say like, let's say slick shoes or MXPX or, or one of the ska bands. Um, and also a lot of times we would play, you know, with um, less than Jake or Aquabats when they would come to Soma and stuff like that. And we would play with them on the same bill because that's when you could do ska and punk together. Cause you know, it was, it just fit. Right. So, uh, the bands started, you know, uh, especially Mike and, you know, the MXPX and Slick Shoes guys, they would say, dude, you got to sign Dogwood to, you know, they're, they're, you got to sign them to our label so we can do more stuff with them. So we can do tours with them and like, just because they're good and you should have them on the label. And it took a while. Um, and we, I think, you know, we didn't really start uh, getting into real talks with them until, cause we had done an independent record before that with, with, and talks with majors and stuff like that. So um, the whole experience of that was a whole experience in itself being coming up as a punk DIY, you know, divorced family and stuff like that. Trying to even talk to Atlantic and, and Warner brothers is like, it, I couldn't even like <laughs> fathom it, but we had a manager at the time that was trying to make it happen. And, and it was really close. And we were, we weren't, we went into the studio and recorded demos for the majors. Um, for which uh, just kind of involved with our independent record. Marcos from POD was producing our demos. The manager was in there. He's like, this is perfect. You gotta, you guys gotta do this, this, and this. He had like, you know, I don't know. It, we were being heavily recruited for Warner brothers. And um, which I thought was cool, but I still wanted epitaph. Yeah. Yeah. I still wanted fat. I don't care. I don't care to be on Electra with Metallica and Capital with the Beatles and stuff like that. Like I don't, that's not me. And so we're doing these demos and the manager and the Atlantic guy come in <clears throat> to the studio and they're like, here's, this, here's some songs. You learn these. Here's, here's a cover. Here's, <laughs> here's a couple cover songs from a band that we shelved. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
you sh- you got this band to record a record, you shelved it because you didn't like it. It's not radio enough. And the the songs didn't even sound punk or anything. It was like Helmet, Nirvana kind of not, I mean, I love those bands, but it wasn't our sound. And they're like, here, we're going to make you this. We're going to make you into this. You know, you're going to be a mix of like, you know, Blink and Green Day and Nirvana put together. I was like, ah, they already, we already have that. Like Jawbreaker's already doing awesome. You know, like yeah. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, and like they, in that they got a bunch of shit for going to a major. And like, it was like this, this boom in the nineties of independent bands going to majors uh, was like looked down upon. Oh yeah. And we, we don't have to get into all that. Of course we already know. People that listen to this podcast, they know all about that. <laughs> yeah. And it has its benefits and it has its cons. And, but I just, I got, we were in the studio and I just like, I kind of lost it. I was like, this is not punk at all. They want me to change my lyrics. We had to do preschool days, uh, three minutes and 30 seconds to be radio friendly. I was like, this changes the whole sound of the song, which is for better or worse, whatever. I, we're, they're changing us. They're changing me. And I don't like that because I'm a wild stallion. You know, um, I just didn't think that I was just not feeling it. And I gave, I was, I gave such a hard time in the studio to, I think to this Atlanta guy, he got a bad taste in his mouth because these guys, these punks, he actually said punks in a derogatory way, right? Um, Because I didn't want to sound, I felt like they were going to take away my whole sound and all the stuff that I worked for from high school to, which I think some bands do compromise when they go to majors. And I think that some people compromise when they grow bigger or sell their company or whatever. It happens because of growth and growth hurts sometimes. Um, But I, we did, we ended up, so we ended up not going to Warner Electra Atlantic because there was too much. I felt like it was too much uh, non non punk pressure, if you will. Like I don't think a guy like Fat Mike or Brett Gerwitz would do that to me. No, no. And I think that this was already happening before we even signed any paperwork. You know, they're offering all this stuff and saying these things, and and I just was not happy with it. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, they didn't offer me an alternative. They didn't compromise. So I was like, okay, we're not going to do it. We're going to, so we recorded an independent record and, um, that was fun. We did a little tour, an an independent record tour, headline tour by ourselves, whatever, all around the country. Um, was that the the self-titled record? That's the one that ended up on FaceTime records. Yeah. I wanted to ask a question about that really quick, because when I was looking at stuff online, you know, it came out later on, on FaceDown, but you guys you guys took a track off, never die. Why did you guys take the track off? We took two songs off of there because, because those songs ended up on tooth and nail records. Oh, okay. Uh, so the tooth and nail, uh, said face down could do it because we're super tight homies with face down. Um, Jason, the owner, uh, I grew up with him, uh, and his brother. And, uh, uh, he, I said, we have this independent, we have this record, you know, do you want it? <laughs> Basically. And it was just like that. He's like, sure. And then uh, they put it out and I, I had to ask because we were already signed. I think we were already had released one record on tooth and nail. Um, but I said, I'm, I don't have any more of these independent records left. So it's kind of an out of print thing. And Jason's like, I'll do it, you know, uh, for face down. So with the caveat being, you have to take off these two songs that are already on tooth and nail records. And then, so that was the whole thing. So, so that's why we, so it was changed from the self-titled album to this is not a new album. Like we called, we just basically called it that. Like, and I got that inspiration from Fugazi, you know, this is not a Fugazi shirt. You yeah. Know? <laughs> uh, somebody in my high school, I was like, dude, 
that's the most punk thing ever. You know, like to me, Fugazi is Fugazi is punk rock in a, in this the whole oh, yeah. the whole globe of punk rocks. Call it what you will, with sound or not. You know, they're not skate fast or whatever. But it's like, yeah, but this, this, and this. You know, they're more punk than anything. <laughs> you know, so yeah. And then we went to Tooth and Nail basically after that independent record. So and then on Tooth and Nail, I mean, you guys seem like you had a fairly good relationship. You put out almost a record uh-huh. every year, kind of, for a while. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, I wonder if that was our pushing to do that or or theirs. But at the same time, they didn't, they didn't like prevent us from, from doing that. They like give us more time. But it, I mean, I don't know. It, it seemed to kind of work or not. I don't know. I don't know how that all works because we were so young when we started. We just like record, 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 record. Yeah. Instead yeah. of, Instead of some bands do a record tour for um, a year and a half or whatever, then go into the studio to record and then put out a record. That's that's a long time. Maybe that, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but yes, to your point, yes, we did. And that was a lot of records in a short amount of time. And I, I know that, you know, the last thing that they kind of put out was reverse then forward again, which is kind of a greatest hits type thing. How, right. did, how did that come about? Did you guys have a lot to do with that or were they just doing that to kind of fulfill a contract? Um, contract was fulfilled with a uh, seismic uh, record album. That was the last like of the four. You know, I think we had an option three or something like that. And then um, that was kind of at the time they were doing a lot of uh, retrospective records on their artists, alumni, and all that kind of stuff. So we did. I think there's four songs on there that are not um, uh, weren't on the full length. So we did on Tooth and Nail, and they had put some songs from Rescue Records on there too. So it has like, it's kind of an anthology of all of our stuff, except for the live album. And then, um, so it's, it's kind of cool that they added those songs to it and put a couple more on, but yeah, it was, it was, I think, it was, I don't remember, if, you know, I, I, I was not totally involved with a lot of the business stuff. I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. I'm just more like, can we just make some music and go out on the road? <laughs> yeah. Can we just, you know, can I write the song? Can I talk about this issue or whatever? Um, like I, I am not good at knowing how many records we sold or anything like that, but I think I think it was their idea because at the time they were doing well with these anthologies, um, and then the uh, but the unfortunate part is we didn't have anything to do with the artwork, and I don't like the artwork on that album. I'll just say that. <laughs> so yeah, I just I remember uh, I've got a lot of friends that were on Victory Records back in the past, mm-hmm. and yeah. whenever they like, you know they owned all the rights to all the masters. So like when a tray, you went to a major and Thursday went to a major, then they would do like a greatest hits record. And I just didn't know if it was the same kind of deal because all my friends in those bands have, they had nothing to do with those greatest hits records. Yeah, I see. I know what you mean. Yeah. um, We, we had done, the only thing we had done outside of that was we had done a couple of compilations. I think that they might've gotten word that we were, I mean, we were on a compilation. We were on compilations with bands from all different kinds of labels, like Fad and you know other majors and stuff. But it was a punk compilation, so yeah. we weren't really talking to other labels or anything like that. It was just like benefit compilations for you know all the one, all those cool benefits that were coming out at that at warp during Warped Tour time, like that Mike Park was putting out or you know uh, European labels and stuff like that. We're like, heck yeah, we want to be on a compilation with those bands, you know, like. Because to me, I know you always talk about this, but the, the compilations are the coolest. It's like a little playlist. It's, the it's like best, a little mixtape. Yeah. It's the playlist before there was a playlist on Spotify. It's it was like a compilation. It's like when you, yeah, it's like when you get to go into Tower Records or your local record shop and listen to a bunch of records that you haven't heard or whatever. 
I have compilations in my car right now of CDs that, because uh, it has, you know, 30, 40 songs of bands I might not have their records, but I have their greatest hits kind of yeah. thing, you know, right there. So, so that was kind of cool to be on that. It's almost like being on a really cool bill at a concert. You're like, yeah. I got to play with, I got to play with this band, you know, I'm on this record with Rise Against, you know. So you guys kind of went on a hiatus. I mean, I know from, like I yeah. said, the research that I've done, you didn't really break up or anything. Uh, you played some shows, I think, in 2011. The things that I wanted to ask you about were uh, mm -hmm. those reunion shows you guys did with MXPX and Five Iron Frenzy. How, how were those? Yeah. Were those pretty cool? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, that was, Mike just calls me out of the blue one time and is like, hey, hey, man, Merry Christmas, whatever, you know, because it's we did the shows in like January or something later. So he calls me, uh, you know, Hey, you want to, you guys want to play a show? Want to play with us when we come to San Diego in LA? And I said, yeah, let me see if everyone can do it. It was just like super simple. And he's just like, we were like in high school again. And, um, it, it just so happened that it was like, uh, we got, everyone was like kind of around for Christmas, Christmas break and new year's. So we could kind of practice and get together for the shows and stuff like that. Cause we don't, we don't really live in the same neighborhood anymore. And, um, it just, everyone said, yeah, it worked out. And then we just, we did the two shows and we, I mean, I've stayed in touch with all the, me and the musicians and I still talk to a lot of people because of the things that I'm doing and such with collaborations and podcasts and whatever. But like, uh, it was, I got to call them and say, Hey, we're going to play with you whatever, whatever, you know? So we got to hang out with, you know, I mean, when you hang out with Fire and Frenzy, that's already eight or nine people <laughs> yeah. right there, you know? And then MXPX has a crew. So like, it's a, it's a big to do, even though, even though it's three punk bands, Scott punk bands, it's like, you know, it's like a hundred people or something like that, you know, but it was just fun to be, uh, that was basically a reunion of the core lineup of the, the tooth and nail albums, you know? Um, and we played, we opened and it was, it was, it was chill, whatever, like, but it was cool because the shows were sold out and we, the first show was in San Diego, our hometown in my home neighborhood where I grew up in North park. And, um, it was just, uh, it was, it was just a good time. Like it was like, we hadn't skipped a beat. I felt a little bit older afterwards. Cause I had, you know, I pulled my hamstring, whatever, <laughs> you know, like doing some kicks and some jumps and stuff. But, uh, cause I get wild and I, I, um, I don't care for my body when I'm on stage. I'm just like, <laughs> in the, like I said, in the zone, in the zone. Right. But, um, it was a lot of fun to, you know, reignite, I think a spark. And I think I, I credit a lot of that to Mike because he's still very active in, in, you know, they're still playing obviously, but he, he can, he can, he has, he has that magic to get people back together and do those shows. I know five iron just put out a new record. It's pretty, pretty killer. It's killer. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they've shown a lot of signs of maturation also and in the music. So I think it ignited spark to, cause I never stopped really writing music or songs, but I didn't, I didn't really have a tour to go on or a band to play with or a label to put it on. So, you know, that kind of, it, I think we, you talked about it before. It's like, it's like muscle memory. You got to, if you don't do it, you're going to lose it. So you have to, so I had, I wanted to keep doing it. So, you know, cause my kids are all musical and, you know, we have the instruments all over the house and stuff. So is that maybe the catalyst for your St. Didicus stuff that you've been doing now? Um, or were yeah, you doing I, that prior to that? Or did that kind of like light, the, really. light the spark or whatever the, to get going with it? Yeah. I mean, we did those shows and um you know the 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 band members didn't really want to do much they're like well we'll do this but we don't want to you know play anymore i was like shoot uh because that was a lot of fun and i could admit that it was a lot of fun of course it was amazing um so we did we did i did one more thing after that so i could 
mainly so I could get Beautiful Mistake to play again. So we did a, kind of a small, we did a small kind of couple shows the year after that. And what I did was it was a, I called it the Dogwood Party Program. And like, cause we had, we had so many members over the years and different acquaintances that I had them all come as many, as many as could come to the shows and play with us in the band. Um, so it wasn't like the core lineup or the original members or anything like that, but it was, you know, like Bill, our first bass player, came out and did a song. And, you know, Sean Beatty flew down from Fresno and played a song that he wrote. With so, like, all these different members at different shows were playing songs. So I just kind of had fun doing that. Cause, but it was mainly the impetus to get Beautiful Mistake to start again. <laughs> Which I'm, gl- I'm glad you it did, worked. yeah. <laughs> so Josh is like, man, uh, we owe you for getting us back together. It's like, hey, man, uh, any, whatever it takes, yeah. So, but then after that, yeah, no more, uh, you know, I'm, dog was probably never going to play again unless there's some some miracle or something but but yeah St. Didicus was shortly thereafter I was like man I gotta I want to figure out how to do songs but I don't have a drum set I don't really write a bunch of stuff on electric guitar or anything like that I don't have I mean I don't have a recording studio at my hands at the time you know um but I had all these song ideas so there's SoundCloud and there's like apps to make beats so you know and my kids all play music so how can I put, I still have all these poems and songs that I want to put on music and recording. So yes, it was kind of a spark and a, an impetus to start this project. And so I was like, what if I just make it, what if I make it collaborative with all these musicians that I stayed in touch with over the years through all over the country and continent, you know, so we could, cause now we can send files, you know, obviously oh, yeah. we can. I'm doing, I'm doing it right now with my new band. <laughs> oh yeah. Fire sales. Like, those guys are all over the place, right? Isn't oh yeah, like, like we're, we're, we're in Canada. I mean, one guy in Canada, one guy in Midwest, one guy on the East Coast, two guys on the East Coast, one guy in California. It's we've never been in the same room together, and we're recording a record. Oh yeah, so yeah, it's crazy. Oh, see, that's that goes to show that you can do it. Like, isn't one of your guys from South America? Uh, he was from Peru originally. He's in Richmond, Virginia, right now, though. Oh okay, yeah. okay. So so yeah, so you know that we can send you know, music files. So, so I start. we started doing that. I, I called up t- or texted up some, some friends, you know, Pittsburgh, San Jose, wherever, Chicago, Florida. And I was like, just send me some, send me some music ideas that you have had, have had that you haven't put out yet. So it started coming in SoundCloud links and whatnot. I started putting stuff over. Okay. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So I put stuff over it just on my, at the time of the wire, wired air, uh, uh, Apple, AirPods yeah. or I mean, whatever they're called, earpods. And I have the microphone, I'm holding the microphone right here, you know, and for, and I was started making demos like, and it sounds like I'm on a phone, you know? <laughs> and then, uh, and then Danny, who, who is our guitar player from the seismic record. And he went and we, he was our, our touring guitarist. Uh, he has a, he's a studio or he has a studio and his brother has a studio. So um, he's like, I got a couple songs left. Sure. So we decided we could, I, I basically, I get, there's a whole bunch of songs and I'm like this one right here, I can do this one right here. I have a song that fits perfectly on this, you know? So we did, we just, so far we've recorded, you know, put out three tracks. Um, and then we have a couple more being mastered right now with, and they're all collaborative. They're all, it's all different kinds of musicians. I sing on, like I sing on hangnails thing. I sing on people's stuff a lot so I can, you know, keep the larynx warmed up and <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Um, I think it's just been a fun, creative project and it's led me to do, to, you know, to start kind of a um, food and music pairing podcast with all the different chefs that are in punk rock bands and vice versa. Yeah. We haven't even talked about your, your, your day job. You, you're a chef, right? I'm a chef. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm a punk rock chef, you know, like. (laughs) That's awesome. 
but yeah, I do, I do fine dining, uh, uh, boutique catering and, you know, food truck stuff. So, but I always try and pair it with music. It's it's in my blood, you know? Did you, uh, like growing up, was that something you were interested in? Did you come to that later on in life? Like the, the culinary arts? Uh, I did not go to like, like college for it or anything like that. But I think, I do think that uh, I was always in the kitchen with my grandparents. Uh, my grandpa was a chef in Mexico and, um, basically they're just always in the kitchen. Old, old people, you know, in Mexican culture, if they're not, you know, if they're still able to, they're, they work all day long. There's no retirement, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, um, I just always was in there doing, I, I mean, I could sit at the kitchen counter and do my homework while my grandma's cooking behind me or whatever. So I got to learn stuff. She's like throwing fresh food over my shoulder, you know? Um, my grandpa had a, had a farm with cows and sheep and stuff like that. So it's a, it's kind of inherent. And then there's always music playing. And then, you know, since they're, since it's a Mexican house, it's like Morrissey or the Smiths or something like that, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's that kind of punk rock, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, why are you so, why, this is sad music, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's got that beat. Yeah. So yeah. I'm always like, you know, I, man, I love sad music. I got to say like. You know, as far as the punk stuff goes, the happy stuff, I'm not really into. <laughs> I don't know like, why. Like, like poppy stuff, you mean? Or I like some pop lyrically. punk. I mean, well, I'm I'm not really a lyric guy, and people always kind of give me shit when I say that. And <laughs> com- coming from someone that writes lyrics, it might sound weird, but like I, mm-hmm. I just hear the guitar. I, That's I hear, okay. I mean, and I love yeah. vocals and vocal harmonies and everything, but it takes a really striking lyric for me to really kind of take a hold of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel the same way. Uh, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't feel the same way. I think I know what you're saying. I feel like I hear the music sometimes like Sean would write a chord and I was like, Whoa, that yeah. chord moves me. Yeah. Like, you know, C sharp minor seventh. I was like, uh, I, I know exactly what note notes to harmonize over this. And it sound the music sounded like someone singing, melancholy um words yeah, yeah i was like i was like holy shit you're onto something um what is that he's so he tells me the chords i have no idea what that means but he told me that what they were i was like that even c sharp minor seventh sounds like an amazing thing <laughs> just <laughs> does. sound of those words yeah um so so when i hear when i hear excellent musicianship whether it's drumming guitars ukulele my daughter is piano i'm like <gasps> you know, like that's, yeah. that's amazing. Or, or something Zayo, you know, they're wee, wee, wee. I'm yeah. like, this, this puts me in a, this puts me in a space and I want to write something to this. I want to put lyrics over this. I want to put meaningful lyrics over this. So like, I think Dogwood and St. Didicus, it's not pop, pop sounding, you know, like my favorite band is, you know, on the fat roster is probably good riddance. Oh yeah. You know, like harder black flaggy kind of stuff versus, Versus say, you know, I mean, I love the clash, but you know, they're not like, rah, you know, um, but they have a lot of, they have a lot of lyrics to say. Yeah. I, I feel the concept. same way that, that you're saying, like, I might not dissect every lyric that I hear if it's got a cool drummer and a cool guitar part, you know, mm-hmm. sure. but, but it's like, it has to kind of move me. And, and I do like poppy punk stuff. I like mm-hmm. the old blink stuff. I like green day, whatever. bowling for soup whatever i just i i like bowling for soup (laughs) yes (laughs) shout out to Jarrett; he listens sometimes (laughs) but i i really like the stuff that does kind of have that melancholy and i don't know maybe it's my metal side coming out you know what i mean like it is it is for like 
there's something to be said that there's a reason why pop punk is so popular. Yeah. It's it's relatable. You, the masses can, I think, relate to something like, say, say, some 41, Simple Plan, like those kind of sounds. MXPX even, they're like very relatable sound, you know? Take that how you will. It sounds, your ears can take it in. You can sing along, you know, it, they're probably not going to offend your parents. Yeah. You know, th- nothing wrong with that. Some 41 might, might offend your parents. Some 41, yeah. <laughs> but like, but, but from my perspective, I was saying things that were offensive. You know, I was saying that things, w- I was saying things that would offend your mom or your parents because, because I was saying, dude, I'm from, I came up in the church and here's what's wrong with the church or, or I have, I have a, I have two parents in my house and you don't have, I'm sorry, you, you don't, you don't have parents anymore, but here's, here's some things that are wrong with a, a, a nuclear family, you know, and here's how we relate. And I think that's one reason why we could relate to some people is because everybody has an experience and uh, not everyone has been, not everyone has the same experience, of course. And it's naive to think that everyone who goes to church is the same. It's naive to think that everyone who doesn't go to church is the same, you know, like that's, that's not the way to think. Um, I like to think that everybody's human and everyone has a story to tell whether it's through music, uh, playing music, or singing the words or anything like that, I think that's a good way to to, sh- to show your experience. Yeah. Well, I I also kind of I I liken it to my the metal or rock bands that I like. I love Van Halen, but I'm only mm-hmm. I'm only putting Van Halen on if I'm in a good mood. Same. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not. I'll listen to Metallica twenty four seven. I'll listen to Anthrax. I'll listen to Iron Maiden. I'll listen to Slayer or whatever. But mm-hmm. I'm only putting on Van Halen when I'm ready to party. <laughs> well, he's got he's got like I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like even like dan da dan da dan da dan like that's like it's like happy metal like yeah that's like, what I'm saying yeah and even jump even the song jump it's it's a keyboard driven song it's called jump you know <laughs> like it's like yeah I don't know how for teach like those, almost it's almost like jokey kind of lyrics to. To a certain degree, I have all the records. I love them. I blast it, but like at the same time, he's not like you know. My father died. Yeah. My yeah. my mother is an alcoholic. You know, I broke my. You know, he's not. It's not always like that. And I like that's the lyrical content that I'm talking about. You know, like what kind of story can you tell in the songs? I could tell the story about how I'm having an awesome time. You know, with all these cokeheads and strippers and stuff like that. That's a, <laughs> that's a fun. That's a fun metal pop metal song. Yeah. But then you got bands like knocked loose saying I cried out to God and he didn't listen, you know, like, yeah, he's saying something too. He's saying a, something about his experience with, you know, God fell silent kind of thing. Whoa, that's crazy. You know, <laughs> both are extremes, but like at the same time, what are we saying? And then, you know, there's centrist kind of songs like, you know, we're having a fun day and we're skating around the city, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I tell you what, I've had a blast today. I like to keep these things around an hour. Um, yeah. I would like to know in the future, you said you have a couple St. Didicus songs that are being mastered. Do you have any mm-hmm. other plans coming up in the future? Uh, as far as the music? Yeah, musically or or whatever. Life stuff, whatever you want to talk about. I'll tell you, um, I when but when things were starting to get shut down, I had I had a bunch of brunches planned, metal brunch, heavy metal brunch. And I paired a bunch of songs with food. I had a Metallica brunch so you would enjoy. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, you know, they've got like what 150 songs to choose from. So I picked, I picked their songs and I made them into food puns. <laughs> you know, so so like I had food pairings say like 
master of papas. It was like a potato, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And then there's, there's beverage pairings and the, I was going to get their whiskey and their, their stone beard, you know, blah, blah. So, um, it was that tickets were being ready. Like that was all, that was going to be two times in April. And then, you know, uh, what's after May, we're going to do a mother's day theme with like mother, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so like metal food pairings and I, but it was going to be like, you know, in the food scene, when you go to brunch, it's kind of like, you know, foofy, you wear your sunglasses at the restaurant, your people are drinking mimosas, but I wanted it to be gritty. I wanted it to be like a venue. We're going to like darken the room a little bit, play the metal and the, or the punk people are wearing their vest, denim vests and stuff like that. You know, like the dress code is don't dress up, you know, it's like yeah. you're going to a concert and we're going to make this a punk rock menu. So I think the plans was, I was, I was writing some songs and playlists to, to do these events, you know, so that all, that all kind of, let's say it got postponed. I don't want to say canceled. It got moved. <laughs> so the plans, I think now uh, that had those kind of shut down the shutdown stuff and uh, quarantine gave me some time to, do more music, get more stuff going. We don't have, we're not on a label, so there's no pressure to do, to do stuff on a timeline. But at the same time, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose any kind of momentum or songs that we have started. So I'm just always kind of trying to finish some, some, at least some demos or whatever. Um, I've collaborated with duets with other singers and, you know, drummers from other bands. Uh, so because bands the bands that are still active, they're not playing much, obviously. They're, they're recording maybe and doing live streams, but they're not touring. So they're itching to do music. And and I think it's a good time right now to collaborate with all my friends who are available to do that. Because once they go on tour, they're not going to be able to help me out with get these songs or whatever. You know, I mean, we're not going to be able to do stuff together, basically. And then once we are able to to be live together again, I want to I wanna have some bands that I collaborated with play at these food events. Oh, that'd be awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, I, I pair, I pair the food with the music, you know, that's really cool that, you know, your kind of your two passions currently in your life, which mm -hmm. are music mm -hmm. and culinary arts, you combine those two together and it makes this one really cool thing, man. I, I respect yeah. that. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Cause I was always cooking on tour. Like yeah. I was, we were, we weren't going out to, you know, PF Chang's or, or anything like that, with, you know, when we're punk rock, we're barbecuing and, you know, just, we were never on warp tour or whatever, but I would have volunteered every single day to cook. Oh you man, know? that's that that was such a cool thing. There was always a barbecue band, and yeah, uh, some of the guys. It's like so I remember sometimes they would take it a little more seriously, and they would make good stuff. <laughs> but it was yeah. it was normally just like hot dogs and like burnt hamburgers. Uh, but you know, oh yeah, you, yeah. you can't complain on Warp Tour. <laughs> Punk rock fuel, I, yeah. So I would have you know I would have fun with it. That's awesome. <laughs> well, hey man, I had a blast today. Uh, I'd love to have you back in the future when you release some new yeah. stuff and. uh yeah, man. I, I'm just really glad we finally got it done, man. Uh, yeah. Same here. I, Cause I listen to the shows a lot. And I'm like, Oh, I have an answer to that question. I have, I know what he's talking about. You know, I can, I can relate to a lot of the the things the guests are saying. Yeah. Oh, and I, I want to give a shout out to Gunner for much the same. Cause we, yeah, we yeah. talked a lot about dogwood on his episode. Mm -hmm, so uh, mm -hmm. I know that we've he, been friends for a long time. Yeah. I know he'd like to get a shout out on this episode. Cause I was, I was very, interested Shout out Gunner. the the the, <laughs> the picture i used for his episode with my art director he had a dogwood shirt on i'm like dude i love your shirt and then that kind of sparked <laughs> all the talk about your band so yeah amazing amazing band i'm glad they're doing stuff again gunner is an amazing musician and uh yeah shout out gunner shout out everyone in the much the same hell yeah man well man <laughs> i've had a blast uh please come back in the future and hang out with us and uh i'll let you know when this you comes out man all right cool Talk to you later, buddy.
Cheers. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Josh Kimball from Dogwood and St. Didicus. Uh, I had an absolute blast chatting with Josh, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Like I said, I've always been a huge Dogwood fan, so it was really cool to have him on. Make sure to check out his new project, St. Didicus, and his old band, Dogwood, on all of the streaming sites. You will not be sorry. Uh, thank you again, Josh, for coming on the show and for being so cool. Glad we finally got it going. I think we rescheduled like four or five times. So thank you, Josh, for being so awesome. And I uh, can't wait to have you back on the program. So that is it for this week. I appreciate all of you spending some time with me every week. I get really cool emails and messages that uh, some of you have listened to all 148 episodes. Some of you said you listened to multiple episodes more than once. So that's that's really cool. I really appreciate it. I know I've got some podcasts where I go back and kind of revisit episodes I liked, and it means a lot to me that you guys do that as well. So make sure to follow us on the socials at TOTOT Podcast. Check out my new band, Fire Sale. Follow us on the socials at Fire Sale is a Band. Check out our new website, firesaleisaband.com, and pre save our first single. It's coming out April 1st. It's called Dark Hearts. Uh, there's links to pre save it everywhere. So just check it out. Uh, let me see here. It's really easy to get in touch with me if you guys need to. Just hit me up. Email's the best way. TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out our website, TOTOTpodcast.com. All the links are there for everything you need for the TOTOT universe. Uh, grab some merch. That's the best, coolest way to support the show. We have really, really cool merch company, Road Dog Supply, that, uh, that'll take care of you and send you extra goodies when you buy some merch. So before I jump out of here, I am going to play some music. I'm going to kick it off with one of my favorite Dogwood tracks. It's called Building a Better Me, and it's going to be followed up by St. Didicus's Standing at the Edge. So uh, this is kind of a shorter intro and outro. Like I said, I'm not feeling super hot. I don't know if you could hear it in my voice, but uh, I think I'm coming down with something. Hopefully it is not the dreaded COVID. I don't think it is. I think I might just have a cold or something, but... Thanks a lot for hanging out with me for another hour or so this week, and I hope you're doing well. And uh, big things coming for the podcast. I've got some huge episodes coming up. I'm really, really excited about my new band, Fire Sale, and uh, you guys will be able to hear it on April 1st. So get excited about that. Uh, pre-sale for the 7-inch will be uh, a week or two after the the single goes up. So uh, keep, keep in, in touch and keep checking the socials for all of that. I really appreciate all the support. And uh, I think it's going to be really cool. I think you guys are really going to enjoy the the single that we're putting out. So I love you guys and gals. Remember to wash your hands and wear your masks. Be kind to one another. I'll see you next week. As always, this is Chris. Peace. Special nature wearing thin I can't seem to begin What really do I see When I step back at me As crushing time reveals my foe Inheriting a woe Solutions in the past Condition not to last It's what you're meant to be Your name and number Be all that you should be You will They don't see you like you think they do
Hey, this is Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jake. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Turner. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propaganda. Hi, this is Roy from No Use for Name. Hi. This is Ben Gillies from Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour with Chris Swinney. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.